We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. Founder of the church, Holy Jesus, is the only president and founder. He died for a denomination. He's the only head of the church. The church did not begin when Jesus was with men. What about the house? Do you remember that? The church began when Jesus moved into man. And that was, that was beautiful. The church began when Jesus moved into man. And that is the building that he was referring. You got that? Not physical buildings. And they went on to talk about how he set the church in, in a pattern. And the pattern was not to feed them, not to heal them, and not to solve their problems. <laughs> so go on from there. But to facilitate the kingdom of God by discipleship. Somebody say discipleship. And that includes teaching and instruction. It includes reproof and instruction in righteousness. Right? Second Timothy 3. Go to 16. Yes, 16. Thank you. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for instruction in righteousness. Verse 17. That the man of God, and that refers to you, may be complete, thoroughly equipped, or King James says furnished, for every good work. That is essentially what discipleship is. Are we together? So the church was planted by Jesus. To facilitate the kingdom of God by discipleship. Discipleship, the next word is fellowship. Let me say fellowship. fellowship. And fellowship includes our worship expressions. Everything we do in worship is part of our fellowship. Right? First John 1, yes, verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may also have fellowship with us. That is horizontal. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus. That's vertical, right? So John is writing to them to come into fellowship with them that they have with the Father and the Son. Make sense? So worship is part of the fellowship collective. When we worship, we're worshiping in fellowship. Does that make sense? All right, so the church, third one here is via government. And we'll talk about that someday. That's the ecclesial nature of the church. To legislate the systems by which the world is governed. Right? The church of Jesus Christ, which we are and which we imitate, is driven by discipleship. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. Therefore means what? On account of what? That's been given to him. On account of this authority, go and save the lost. Go and preach the gospel. Go and church people. So really, what is the great commission as we call it? Discipling all nations. Not as it were, preaching the gospel to save the lost. Because that's, that's only the entry point 
into it. The end of the gospel is the making of disciples. In other words, the gospel is the tool by which disciples are fashioned. Does that make sense? We preach the gospel to make disciples. So receiving the gospel is not where it ends. And that's where church is struggling with. It's not enough to believe the gospel. It's not enough to receive the gospel. It is for the gospel you're receiving to make a disciple out of you. That's the end of the gospel. The end of the gospel is that to the measure that you receive the word of truth, it makes you like the word of truth. Do you guys understand? That as you're looking into the law of liberty, as you're beholding, you are becoming. It's not just in receiving. 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16. 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16. We just read verse 16, so we just put up verse 15. And that from childhood, or from when I was a child, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation, that through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Make you wise for salvation by the holy scriptures, or, or by the teaching of the scriptures. Because elsewhere, you see where Paul tells um, in that letter, uh, crediting his mother and grandmother, Rhoda and Lois, in whichever order, for instructing him in the scriptures. Does that make sense? So the church of Jesus, which we are, the church of Jesus, which we imitate, is loud on discipleship. It's not loud on activities. Because most times we think that church is about activities. You know, weekly activities. Are you active in church? And, and that, by that we mean how busy are you with, with church work? Not how, gro- how much are you growing in the faith? Because that is your activity in church. Your activity in church is to grow. That's what, that's what instruction does. That's what activity is. That you are growing. Not that you are busy. Church is not about being busy. Am I saying that it's wrong to be busy? No. Church should be your life. But not as a member, as a disciple, and not a disciple of your pastor, but of the gospel. Because you can say I'm a disciple and what you're hearing is not the gospel. Do you understand? Yeah. You're just an indoctrinated member of a denomination. If you're not sat under the gospel as your primary allegiance. Do you understand that? The church of Jesus is a church in which the word grows and prevails. I mentioned it here, I think it was a few few weeks ago, that really if you look at it, you know, realistically speaking, we don't grow in the word. Believers don't grow in the word. It is the word that grows in us to the measure that you let it. Acts 2, 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as were being saved. That word, that scripture I'm looking for, where is it now? I, can't, I think it's Acts 19. There's another... Um, Yes, Acts 19.20. There's another one before there. It's in maybe Acts chapter 4. But Acts 
So the word of God grew mightily and prevailed. The word of God grew mightily and prevailed. Acts, let's see Acts chapter 12, 24. Acts 12, 24. And multiplied. Now what does that mean? Does it mean that the word of God increases in value? It cannot mean that, right? Therefore, the only meaning, acceptable meaning, is that the word of God prospered in the hearts of the hearers. So really, what we say we are growing the word, it means that we are allowing room for the word to prosper in us. Do you understand? So it's not really, and listen to this carefully, it's not really a function of how much word you have come into knowledge of. As much as it is, how much of the knowledge of the word is going out of you? It's not how much scriptures you know. It's how effective the scriptures you know are in your life. That is growth. Somebody can know and be convicted about and that becomes your reality. The word has grown in you in that area. Does that make sense? The word has multiplied in you in that area. To the measure that you're receiving the word of God and to the measure that it is shaping your reality. That's the word of God growing in you. The word of God growing in you does not imply that you know 10 verses today and tomorrow you know 25. That's great, but that's not growth in the word. The scripture you know is not what you are growing by. The scripture you know that shapes how you act is the word you are growing by. So it's not in the quoting of scripture. It's in the practice of scripture. Did you hear what I said? Growth in the word is not in the quoting or knowing of scripture. It is in the practice of scripture. That's when the word is growing in us. When we are actually practicing what we're hearing. Not quoting it to regurgitate it in conversations. Because a lot of times we just have conversations to show off knowledge. And that, do you know what scripture calls that? I think it's 2 Corinthians 4. Scripture calls that people handling the word of God deceitfully. Yes, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2. Let's see how the CPT puts this. Verse 2. We reject every shameful cover-up and refuse to resort to cunning trickery or distorting the word of God. The message. We refuse to wear masks and play games. We don't maneuver or manipulate behind the scenes. And we don't twist God's word to suit ourselves. Rather, we keep everything we do and say out in the open. The whole truth on display. So that those who want to can see and judge for themselves in the presence of God. Because the word of God is the word of God. It's con- that's the constant. And we can handle the word of God deceitfully. Not just from wrong interpretation. In other words, from asegeting scripture. From reading into scripture what scripture does not say. That's the Greek word. for Asegesis as opposed to exegesis. Ex the Latin prefix for out. Ex means out. So exegesis is to read out of scripture what it actually says. Does that make sense? Asegesis, E-I-S-E-G-E-S-I-S, is to read into scripture what it doesn't say. Make sense? 
exegesis is to read out of scripture what it actually says. So part of handling the word of God deceitfully includes asegeting scripture. That's not the end of handling the word of God deceitfully. Using the word of God to manipulate is handling it deceitfully. Holding people to a different standard other than you are practicing is handling the word of God deceitfully. Quoting scripture only when you want to have your way and not allowing scripture to mold you to its way is handling it deceitfully. And there's people like that. They don't believe the scripture only when it applies to them. When they're the ones who are using it to get something they want. But when it comes to instruct them or correct them, they're not interested. It cannot be the Holy Spirit except it's coming from them. There's believers like that. Sons of God. Spirit filled. It cannot be God if he's not comfortable with them. It's in scripture. They will not accept it. Until they're the ones who are about to dish something or say something. Then ah, the scripture says... Walk in love. You're not walking in love. You offend somebody. The person upset. You're not saying, but the Bible says you should forgive. You cannot stay mad at me. The Bible says forgive 70 times 7. Forgiven even as God in Christ for, forgive you. And that's the wrong time to do that. At that point, you should be meek and humble and contrite in your repentance. Not to, because at that point, you're using the word of God to guilt trip somebody. To let the person realize that you, you owe it to me to forgive me. You owe it to me to not put me in the position where you have to ask me to forgive you. So handling the word of God deceitfully, is, it also includes holding people to different standards when it has to do with the word. And how do we do that? By not practicing as a constant the word of God that we live by. Do you understand that? So the word of God grows and prevails in us. What does it mean for something to prevail? Talk to me. To have its way, to take charge, to champion, effective, that's what I'm looking for. Who said that? Yeah, no, triumph. It came from around here. Yeah, to triumph. To triumph. For something to prevail means the person, the thing won. Does that make sense? To prevail means to subdue, to run over. To gain preeminence over. To conquer and dominate something. So what does it mean to say the word prevails in you? When you are saying triumph, you are saying one, you are saying dominate. What does it mean for the word to prevail? Speak out. Speak it out. Triumph over what? No, you're speaking to yourself, not about me. Over yourself, over your flesh, over carnality, over your interest, over your preferences, your desires, your will, your emotions, your mind, your wishes, culture, what? Convictions, your what? Dogmas. Lifestyle, policies, systems, principles. The question now that begs is, are we actually allowing the word to win in the areas we have highlighted? Is the word 
growing mightily and actually prevailing? Ask the question. Because you realize it's not difficult. Everybody knows what the word should do. Just not everybody is interested in letting the word do it. So really, we are teaching a truth that is actually not difficult to comprehend. Do you see that? We're teaching a truth that in many ways we can confidently say you already know. So the problem is not in you knowing. You already know too much. The problem is, are you willing to lose the fight for the word to win it? Are you guys listening to me today? Are you willing to lose? Are you willing to be the one who loses the fight? Because it is important to you that the word prevails. That's important to you that the word over your cravings, over your preferences, over your opinions, over your attitudes, over your habits. The question is not do I know that I need to stop this or do I know that I need to do You know. You know. The question is, am I willing to let the word triumph? Am I willing to let the word be the final say in that particular area? That's when you are actually allowing the word in you to prevail. That's when the word is growing. The word growing in you means that the word is gaining influence in your life. Are you you hearing me? The, The word is becoming more influential in your life. Every day the word himself realizes that he's gaining preeminence in your life. That's what it means for the word to grow. The word is becoming more influential. Every day as you wake up you realize that you are able to be held back more by the word. You are able to be spurred into action more quickly by the word. You're able to defer in hard times to the word. You're able to be held back by your subscription to the word. That's when the word is growing in you. Do we understand that? And that's what discipleship does in us. It's the only determining factor of our work. You cannot be saying church and saying Christ and saying Jesus and disrespect his word. Colossians says, let the word of Christ the word of Christ, Colossians 3.16, dwelling you richly and in all wisdom. Let the word of Christ. What does Paul say in Acts 20.32? Acts 20.32, I commend you to God. Yes, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. What does that? The word. The word. In prayer and breaking of bread. Daily in the word. Are you guys here? So growth in the word is the measure to which the word gains influence over you. The word cannot be dragging with you for influence. Can't be dragging with your emotions for influence. The word cannot be struggling with you to win. The word cannot be fighting your your, your emotions, your mind, your sensualities. You know that this is what the word says, but you refuse to allow yourself to be subject to the word. Then your maturity will not happen. And you continue to go, go around in circles because the word of God cannot reprove you. 2 Timothy 3.16, right? 
The word of God cannot correct you. The word of God, most importantly, cannot instruct you. Next part of this. Profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Now, if the word is not doing that, it's not prevailing. You can know the word and grow in your knowledge of it, but it is not prevailing. And many a people, many a New Testament believer knows the word without subscribing to its prevalence. In other words, you are equipped with, you can talk about your new creation reality, you can talk about grace, not of works, and law, and you, you can, hey, you can wrap it. But in your own life, it is not prevailing. But the church of Jesus Christ is a church in which the word prevails. Can we say that together? The church of Jesus Christ is a church in which, one more time, in which the word prevails. The church of Jesus Christ is a church in which the word prevails. Let me hammer on this next one. The church of Jesus Christ, which we are and are imitating, places premium on fellowship. Acts 2, 46. So continuing daily. Somebody say daily. daily. That speaks to the frequency of their gathering. Right? The frequency of their gathering. You could substitute the word frequency for the word quantity of their gathering. And then he goes on to say with one accord. And that speaks to the quality of their fellowship. Are you here? And I'll unpack that word in a bit. One accord speaks to the quality of their fellowship. They continued daily frequency with one accord quality. In the temple and that temple only because it was still standing. Not because the gospel endorses buildings as temples. But because in this time Solomon's temple was still standing. In fact, Solomon's rebuilt temple was still standing before it was torn down in AD 70, fulfilling the prophecy of Jesus that not one stone will be left standing on the other. <laughs> and just before anybody would doubt anything, they went and built a mosque on top of it. So in case you don't know, the, the site of Solomon's temple is the third holiest site of Islam right now. The place known as the Dome of the Rock. Right? That's the third holiest Islamic site in the world. I'm just pointing that out. Of course, it goes further on in Corinthians to say, do you not know that your bodies, your bodies, are the temple of God in whom he also dwells? So he is moved out of buildings and into people. I repeat, he's moved out of buildings and into people. I say this boldly on all authority, quote me anywhere. Any man of God that says there's anointing or presence in a building is lying. It's lying. This holy altar, this anointed altar, you know, the God of this building, the God of this sanctuary is a lie. It's not true. I pray that he's ignorant, but I... I hope he's not deliberating his error. It's not true. He doesn't inhabit buildings made by human hands. He doesn't inhabit buildings made by human hands. We 
are his temple. We. Not it. Somebody say we. Acts chapter 7. Well, we, we are. Yes, thank you. Where were we before here? We're in Acts 2. Talking about frequency and quality, right? Acts 7. <laughs> 44. This will mess somebody up. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he has seen, right? Which our fathers, having received it in turn, also bought, brought with Joshua into the land. They brought the, the, the tent of meeting, the tabernacle of Moses, into the land possessed by the Gentiles, who, whom God drove out before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. David asked to find God a dwelling. Solomon heard it as David wanted a house. Let's go back. Read 46 again. David found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. God answered Jacob's prayer by giving him Jesus from his loins. David, Holy Spirit, help them to get this. David asked to find God a dwelling for the house of Jacob. David was not asking God to give him permission to build him a house. David asked to find him a dwelling for the God of Jacob. I, I wish I love you so much. I wish I could do something permanent about hosting you. I'm so taken by you. I see something. I wish I could. I wish I could perpetuate this presence. I wish I could do something such that you never have to leave man. I I I wish I could build you a dwelling. I wish you would come and stay and never leave. That was David's prayer. Not I wish I can build you a house with brick and mortar. But Solomon didn't understand it so but. Next verse. David asked to give God a dwelling but Solomon built a house. Because Solomon's assumption was that what David was asking was for God to let him build him a house. Yes. Absolutely. So, but distinguishes what David asked for and what Solomon did. Let's drive the point home even further. See verse 48. with hands as the prophet says go on heaven is my throne earth is my footstool what house will you build for me tpt 49 heaven is my throne and the earth is bought a footstool for my feet how could you possibly build a house that could contain me says the lord yahweh and where could you find a place See, I don't stand here and speak because I feel like. 
Scripture says we know and therefore we speak. So before you go, oh, Pab is sounding disrespectful. Look at the scripture for yourself. How can he say someone is a liar? What does the scripture say? What does Romans say in 3 and 4? Let God be truth and let every man be a liar. The question is, are we comfortable enough to be liars and lose the fight for the word to prevail? That's the problem. Because it's not, it's not difficult for the word to prevail. The problem is whether you're willing to be a gallant loser in favor of the word prevailing. If you're willing to let aside your tradition and let aside your religion and let aside your culture and let the word of, can the word of God just be clear without being discolored by anything a person feels? That's when the real church will emerge. When you're not thinking, yeah, the word of God says but. The word of God says but. But I feel like, go back to 45 in the TPT. In Acts chapter 7. The next generation received the possession of it, and under Joshua's leadership, they took possession of the land of the nations, which God drove out from, from in front of them. The tabernacle was carried about until David found loving favor with God and prayed for a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. Next verse. But it was Solomon who built him a house. Next verse. However, the Most High God does not live in temples made by human hands. Stay here and go to the message. 48. Yet. That doesn't mean that the Most High God lives in a building made by carpenters and masons. The prophet Isaiah put it well when he wrote, Heaven is my throne. I rest my feet on earth. So what kind of house will he build me? Says God. Where I can get away and relax. David asked for something. Solomon interpreted it and did what he thought was the answer. God bypassed Solomon and brought what David asked for. You see, uh, when he says, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David knew he was going to die. So what, what was he referring to as the house of the Lord forever? Oh, sorry. Who was he referring to? As the house in which he will dwell forever. David saw something. So just for you to understand the whole temple matter. Has it helped anybody? Has this instructed anybody? So Acts 2.46 continuing daily in the temple. Then because Solomon's temple was still standing. And what was standing then wasn't actually Solomon's temple. It was a replica that Julius Caesar helped them to rebuild. Okay? Because the temple that Solomon built had been torn down already by the Babylonian invasion. Yeah? The Babylonians destroyed the temple, took everything that was in it. All the holy and sacred goblets ended up in Babylon. Never came back. So the Roman emperor helps, pities them, yeah? And then just helps them to build it again. So what was raised up was actually a replica of the original temple. Does that make sense? It was in that temple that the, the dimensions of the curtain were doubled. Yeah. In actual fact, it's, it's, it typifies that when, this, when the temple was rebuilt, it made it even more difficult to approach God. Because the, the size of the veil was doubled in this new temple. <laughs> thus making it much more difficult to approach God, thus making sin exceedingly sinful. 
<laughs> so people think they were doing God a favor. But by building him a building, you were alienating him from the people. The irony of it. They're building a building for people to come and meet God, but the building is actually the reason why they will never see him. Because who will pass that veil? One person. Once a year, if he's lucky. So you build a building for God. God has never wanted to live in buildings away from the people. He's always wanted to live in people away from the building. Not in buildings away from the people, but in people apart from the building. So continuing daily one accord in the temple only because he was standing. So right now, that doesn't mean, it doesn't, doesn't mean anything to us. With one accord, I said the church of Jesus Christ that he died for, that we are imitating, places premium on fellowship. Church is nothing if people there are not safe. It is not, it's worse than Rotary Club. It's worse than your town's village meeting. You might as well leave church and be somewhere where you're safe. If we can't see you at your worst and love you as your best, this is not church. And I understand that people will criticize and it's okay. But the church that Jesus died for, we have not started being audacious enough to practice. We haven't. We have not started being audacious enough to practice. The church that champions the equality of all believers. The equality. What did I call it? The equality of all believers. No separation of the classes. And organized religion hates what I'm saying. And it's okay. It's okay. If your security lies in sitting on a big chair when everybody's on a plastic chair, knock yourself out. But don't let your security discolor the word of God. Don't say you are doing it because the word says it. Because the word actually says against it. Because the word of God, the church Jesus died for, champions the priesthood of all believers. All of us are kings and priests. In equal standing. Nobody pass anybody. Nobody. Oh, I placed Pav on a pedestal. And Pav disappointed. That's why he disappointed you. Because you put him on a pedestal he does not belong to. So every time you try to pedestalize me, I de-pedestalize myself. I refuse to be on and under or atop any pedestal. Oh, he's my pastor. I hold him up there. Put me down here. Don't put me up anywhere. That's why you can walk to the place and buy noodles and walk home. And it's, it's fine. But me, I cannot because you put me ah! Put me down. Put yourself up there. Oh, excuse me, Pav, you just, he just stood with that lady and that guy, and we're just laughing and playing. And I look, I look up, to, look at me, don't look up to me. What is up about me to look to you? No, I was, I was looking up to him, I was looking up to him, I, look at yourself. It's okay to look at me. That's why I'm here with you, look at. When Peter and John were going to get the blind guy, the, the 
guy healed by the banner, by gate of beach. What did they say? Say, look at us. They didn't say, look up at us. Say, look at us. So I was looking up to him so much. I'm looking. I, I put him up there. I didn't send you. So do yourself a favor and put me down. There are some heights I don't like. I'm afraid of some heights. We are a priesthood of believers. All of us. If church is not safe, nowhere is in the world is safe. No barracks is safe. If the gathering of believers does not provide so-called comfort and security, there's nowhere else a human being can find it. So we owe it to the kingdom as church to be the place of safety and comfort and tranquility for sons of God. Church is not where you come and you're watching your back. And I repeat this thing, guys. I said it on Friday. If you are part of a church and you are the reason why somebody sees another person negatively, you are the problem in church. You and the people that listen to you. And shortly, you will carry your two legs and enter a problem that will be difficult for you to come out. And you say, God, where were you in it? He was there. If you are the reason why somebody, so now Melody is here, and then Melody talks to Theophilus about Richard, and all of a sudden, Theophilus starts to look at Richard funny. Not because of his encounters with Richard, but simply because of what Melody said. That's what you give account of. And then you two that collected somebody's account blindly. Even when, see, the church is such that even when Theophilus actually saw Coco Bassett doing something, that doesn't determine how he loves him. That's church. That's church. If you cannot handle the talk about a friend drinking, how will you handle the day you see that brother drinking or drunk? It means you're, what you're saying is you're the one that will carry the whistle and blow to the whole world. That, hey, gather here and see, oh, I saw Coco Bassi drinking. I knew it. Nobody will believe me. So when we believe you, what trophy have you won? When we eventually accept that, yes, all along, you were right. And what prophetess? Okay, you are correct. You are right. Now what? What does it mean? Jesus died. For whom Jesus died. A brother for whom the same blood that you are saying saved you. Saved them. What do you gain? By saying, I knew it. It's acting funny. My spirit. My spirit. Those of you that have spirit. That's why, you're, that's why you're so confused because you have spirit. Because the son of God doesn't have a spirit. It's the spirit of God in the son of God. We place a premium on fellowship. Doesn't matter what you think of me outside. I'm a family man. Only people who are not in my family will not understand the family. And it's okay, sir. Come to your house. Some of your friends come to you and say, why is your mom cooking this on rubbish soup? Good. But you let them do it to your church family. You let them do it to your church family. And then you even join them to say, even myself, I don't even really understand this soup. I'm just eating it because I'm, I'm there. You know, the, the most delusive thing about gossip is for the gossiper to think nobody knows. Kai, you are foolish. You're foolish on an epic level of colossal magnitude. Do you understand? Your folly is a reference point if you are gossiping and you believe. 
that nobody knows you are talking. But you let them do that to your church family. Say, hey, me, you, me, I'm just, just eating the soup. Say, at all, at all, I'm bad pass. <laughs> you don't respect what you benefit from. You don't honor what you benefit from. You are quick to abdicate when it's not going your way. When it's going your way, you sing the praises of your benefactor. The moment it's not going your way, you turn it on its head like the person never meant anything to you. You're worse than an enemy. An enemy, we know we have a beef. Do you understand? Black Axe and Bucaneas, they know. Yeah? What's the name? Uh, the AF fraternity and the KKK. They know, they know, we know we are not friends. Stay out of my lane. I stay out of your lane. It's okay. But for friends to become frenemies. Frenemies. That's dangerous. And once the church does not have safety, we're dead. We're dead. We're absolutely powerless when we cannot see each other as we are and protect each other. I was very mischievous as a kid. I've told you guys before. My mother would go out and rake for the neighbors in the estate. She would shout you down. Don't touch my son. Is your child like my child? Have you seen my child's report card? My mom will shout at you. When she comes back inside, she tell you, lie down. Go out there and be making noise and be making me to raise my voice. So now the, the, the whole neighborhood has to hear my voice. They now know my voice because of you. Lie down. If you shout, if I hear. If I hear. And I didn't understand it until you start to grow up and then you understand that. She would defend you outside, chastise you inside, and ensure that the people she raked for do not hear you crying. Because she wants to chastise you and yet cover you at the same time. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly father? How much more your heavenly father? You don't believe that the grace of God that you enjoy can speak for somebody else in the same measure that he speaks for you. You become self-righteous. You abdicate the righteousness of God which is in Christ. Because that righteousness is not based on performance. Why you can successfully judge a brother is because you, are conv- you have convinced yourself that because you are not struggling with what they are struggling with, you are better than them. You have forgotten that in their struggle, there is something they are still better than you at. You have forgotten. So you see them smoking. Ah, this one is a smoker. But they probably have a cleaner heart than you. You who drink holy water. Holy water. But that person will move earth and heaven for someone they are connected to. They will give liberally you that doesn't drink and smoke. And then you lift up your nose and go home. You become like the publican that was praying in the parable Jesus told. Oh me, I pay my tithe. I pray morning and afternoon and evening. I'm not like that person. So heaven should reckon with you according to what you think you're doing. And so we have used our hands to mess up the church of Jesus. But we place premium on fellowship. Respect one another. Someone should feel safe in church. Somebody should not tell you, I don't like being tickled. They go, oh, now I know. You now tickle them 20 times a day. You have not valued fellowship. You don't value fellowship. I don't like, oh, it's, how, can you say you don't like, how can you say you don't like this? You must like it because you like it. You believe somebody else should like it. That's manipulation. I know you're not used to it. You're looking at us like we are from some planet. It's because we saw Jesus. Because we see Jesus. It's fellowship. 
Acts 5, and daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus. The church of Jesus Christ that Jesus died for, which we are and imitate, and this is major, is of one heart and one mind. Can we say one heart? One heart. And one mind. I've been waiting to get here for a while. I don't know if I'll finish it today. It's just one point. But for me, it is everything about what church should be. One heart, one mind. Acts chapter 1, 12, 13, 14. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, or the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord. Can somebody say with one accord? In prayer and supplication. With the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. We are not praying to be in one accord. We are supposed to be praying as one accord. In other words, to be in one accord is not a prayer point. We don't call prayer meeting to be one. We call a prayer meeting as one. We don't call a prayer meeting to pray to be one. We don't call a prayer meeting in discord, hoping that at the end we live in one accord. We call a prayer meeting as one accord or we leave it alone. There are areas that we have not yet allowed the word to prevail. See, when we are the church that Jesus died for us to be, the people that are already calling us a cult will have to look for another name because they realize that cult is not deep enough to explain a people that is one. You will have to invent another phrase because cult, sect, fraternity will not be enough. Just like if they understood grace, they would need to invent another word deeper than hyper because hyper is not deep enough. If we are the church Jesus died for in one accord, <laughs> Let me tell you the truth. There is nothing we will stand as 50 people in one accord and declare that will not come to pass. Yes, nothing. This is not a matter of if I be the man of God. That's not what scripture teaches. Scripture teaches the unity of the brethren. Not the celebrity status of a man of God's anointing. Oh, there's nothing, no prayer I pray that God doesn't answer. When I say that, what I'm telling you is I'm the direct access to God. Bring your offerings to me. Look after me. Bring your prayer points. I will pray to God for you. The God of power will answer you. That's what religion is used to. But that's not what the, the apostles teach. We come together. We legislate as one. Nothing can stop a church who is one. A church who is one does not need to pray. 
a church who is one does not need to. What are you praying? What are you slaving for? No Holy Ghost, no anointing, no cross, no Jesus, no salvation. Human beings got up, became one. They taught heaven. Heaven vacated heaven to come to earth and deal with this issue. And the only way God could stop man who was one was by scattering them. No Holy Spirit you have, no anointing, no supernatural enablement, no grace. People just got up. Let's build a city. Let's build a tower to touch heaven, wherever that heaven is. And their agenda was not, let us get to God. There's a heaven we will build and reach there. And guess what? They began. And heaven realized, hey, these people will really do it. Picture it in your head. The earth to the sun is 93 million miles. And a bunch of people said, we will build from here. We will reach heaven. Just assume that heaven is where the sun is. But people bound themselves together. We will build our way to heaven. Forget that Jesus. We'll build there. And heaven realized that this thing was possible. It means that the, no human being has scratched the surface of our possibility. With all the inventions in the world, with men going to Mars and men going to the moon, no human being has scratched the surface of the possibility of the normal human being. How much more the man in Christ? Just the average human being for being human, what is capable of will drive you dizzy. God looked at man he created because God created man with his capacity. In his image, after his likeness, what God can do, the average man can do. The average man, fallen man, degenerate man, God acknowledged. And the word acknowledgement is the word epignosis, in case you don't know. That the communication of your faith be effective, Philemon 1 7, by the acknowledgement of every good thing that is yours in Christ Jesus. The word acknowledgement is the word epignosis. Not the knowing, but the realization, the revelation of every good thing. So God received light. That is true. We actually made man in our image. This heaven, they will reach you. The son agreed. The spirit agreed. He said, come, let us now go to. Jesus was on the earth. Heaven was not vacant. Man became one. Heaven was vacant. Everybody didn't leave heaven because Jesus was here. The father looked upon him and endorsed him and commended him. The father spoke from heaven, saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. But man became one. Father, son, spirit, leave heaven. We need to attend to this. Leave heaven first. They will reach here. At this level of unity, they will reach it. Our godliness is right now almost under threat. Because they've discovered what it means for a people to be one. When man is one as God is one. Even in multiple capacities and multiple expressions, man can bring all their differences and converge in concert. They become the God class in the earth. How much more the man in Christ, you alone, can be just you alone in Christ. Your possibility is limitless. 
then they now combine all of us in Christ as one heart. One accord. We will not move mountains. We will make mountains. The world can never dream of any force more potent than the church united. The church that is not concerned with individual selfish interests. Concerned with building personal empires. And amassing wealth to yourself. Prospering for yourself. Bettering yourself. The world cannot contend with the energy that will be released in the earth if a united church emerges. If a united church emerges and says we all agree on this. Somebody is going to die. We will restrain them from dying. And we will tell heaven. This one is not going. We will tell our father Daddy, we are not ready to release this one. How can Elijah shut down heaven and sons of God cannot legislate his will in the earth? You're comfortable playing church. Comfortable making noise. God is taking us to a place where the church sneezes, the nation catches cold. The church could call the governor and say, what are you doing? And the, the governor will know he's pissed off the legislature of heaven. That's what we're called to do as church. It cannot happen until we have one heart, one mind. You see what God is doing, you still fight it. You still talk against it. You still backbite it. You still slander. You have money, you are hiding it. You will not give it. You see that God is doing what he's doing. You are still not moved because you are driven by your own selfish ambition. You are driven by your own selfish ambition. You, 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 you're not letting yourself be inconvenienced. You don't want to feel empathy and compassion. You don't want to take a sense of ownership. But you say we are the church. My church family. Acts 2 and 1. Is anybody getting this? When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Somebody say with one accord. In one place. Acts 4.32 Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and so, imagine that we're in this room and there's only one heartbeat we can hear. The word one heart is the word cardiac, I told you last week, from which you get the word cardiac, and it means heart beating as one. Imagine that we're all in this room and, we're, and, and you come in and you take our pulse and all our pulse is the same BPM, the same strength. You can't break our run. He became like us so that we could become like him. One heart, one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. No one said that anything he possessed was his own, but they had all things. And come on, put the TPT up on the message. And then we'll do Acts 5. All the believers were one in mind and heart. Selfishness was not a part of their community. Did you see that? Selfishness was not a part of their community. In other words, if there is selfishness, it ceases to be a community. For they shared everything they had with one another. And the last time I checked, everything actually means 
Because you know you can walk away and think, Pav is just, this is New Testament. The New Testament is the perfect law of liberty. Why are you so hell-bent on disobeying what the word says for everybody to do? What joy do you get in being the one that rebels? Every, everybody wear black shoe. You feel like I can wear white shoe because it's me. Deal with it. What joy do you get in being the one who wants to always go opposite? What do you think it proves in your life? Certainly not the spirit of Christ. Certainly not the spirit of church. What do you gain being the one who wants to disobey instruction? One heart. Put the message up. The whole congregation of believers. The whole. Somebody say the whole. Congregation of believers. Was united as one. One heart. One mind. They didn't even claim ownership of their own possessions. Look at this. No one said that's mine. You can't have it. Please. No one. By this Acts 4, there were at least 10,000 members. So feel like the church cannot be large in numbers. If it's large in numbers, Jesus is not there. That is a warped mentality. Because the Lord himself added to them one day, 3,000 men besides women and children. That is a large church. Does that make sense? That's a large church already from Pentecost. And he didn't stay there. He says the Lord added to them daily. Such as we're being saved. So I don't care if they met in 200 houses. or I mean, the temple was large. Imagine them packing out the temple every day. It was a lot of people, sir. I've taught you that if people are plenty, it doesn't mean God is not in it. That they are small doesn't mean that God is not in it. That they are small doesn't mean God is in it. That they are plenty doesn't mean God is in it. Let the Lord add to his church as he wills. So, but picture a large church of over 10,000 people. No one said, that's mine. You can't have it. They shared everything. Picture it, guys, if you really have the spirit of God. If the spirit of God has taken over the seat of your conscience. Picture what I'm telling you by the spirit of God. From the word of God. Picture a crop of people in their thousands that their heart beat as one. Excuse me, why won't Dorcas come back to life? Dorcas will not go anywhere. Forget it. Wherever she died and went, we're going to pull her back. How did she come back? Herod took James, killed him. Eh, okay, they like it. Took Peter. The church said, no, you can't take him. And they declared and legislated without season. Heaven dispatched angels in the physical to go and jailbreak Peter out. Imagine 10,000 people saying none of us owns what is ours. <laughs> 10,000 people. Imagine a church that is 1,000 people and all our cars is all our cars. They will start to look for you to hear what it is you are doing. What understanding it is you have come into. Pastors will start to reference what you're doing. You'll be in the pages of every tabloid. Because such a thing has become alien. Religion has succeeded in making us feel that some things in the New Testament are no longer achievable. And I refuse to join that number. I refuse. Even if I don't see it in my lifetime, I will join the league of those who held on to this hope against hope. I can live my life throughout my life and I don't see that thing, but I will live my life looking for it. Rather than settle and believe it's not possible. No, it's possible even if it's not achievable. 
if I, even if I don't see it in my lifetime, let me know what I was hoping for until I entered the day of the Lord. And let the day of the Lord console me for what I could not see in my time. Let the day of the Lord console me for what I could not see in my time. But let it not be said of me that I settled for something less than what Jesus died for. And I was comfortable in it because he paid my bills. God forbid. God forbid. Because he stroked my ego, you know. I became known as a successful pastor. Packing numbers. Doing what I know is less than what Jesus died for. Thank God we don't need to do this for money. This is actually taking money from us. But I'd rather live knowing that there is a hope that Jesus planted in the earth. And oh Lord, your people were not ready to get there. But let your coming, let my entering your day console me. Than to settle now and assume it cannot happen. No, they did it in the New Testament. It can happen. And the people might fight it. The people might not let the word prevail. But I will constantly make it clear. And the people can emerge who is one heart. Or people can emerge who can sit in this room for a whole week. Not one person will be feeble. Not one person will be hungry. Not one person will be sleepy. Not one person will fall asleep. Not one person will be sick. If we are all of one heart. If there's no loophole. Nothing can be exploited. We can, I mean, they stood there and arrested the son. What are we doing, sons of God? Stand still in that valley. We have some God business to finish. And we can be here as sons of God. One heart, one mind. No diesel in the gen. We will declare that the gen will come on and the gen will come on without diesel and run a meeting until we permit the gen to go off. Until we say, go off. Because the people is one. That is operation in the God class. We have not begun to even consider the potentials of being a son of God. We have not, 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 we have not begun to consider the potential of being sons of God, of one heart and one mind. That one heart, one heart, everybody's heartbeat, same. One mind, everybody's psyche, same. Acts chapter 5, I'll wrap it up. Acts 5, 12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. The word for one accord is the word I want to end with. is the word homothumadon. Homothumadon. H-O-M-O. Homo. And homo is the Greek word that means same. Okay? Homothumadon. From the word that means of one mind or mind. Do you get it? So, essentially one accord means one mind. But it's not just one mind. Homothumadon doesn't just mean one mind. Homothumadon means unanimous. Right? And the word unanimous in the original language does not suggest that we disagreed to agree. Are you hearing me? Homothumadon. T-H-O-T-H-U-M-O-D-O-N. M-A-D-O-N. Unanimous does not mean that we started off at a place of discord and arrived at a place of agreement like the political legislature where we 
sponsor a bill and people argue it, debate what is for, what is against, and then we eventually adopt a motion. That's not what unanimous means. Unanimous actually means to agree without ever having needed to disagree. So one accord, homothumadon, as it applies to the church, means that there was not such a time as the church was in discord. Do you understand? There was no time. Picture it. Picture Pentecost. Outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Multiple. Speaking in tongues and manifestations of the supernatural. By the first time the church gathered in Jerusalem, there were at least 3,120 people. And by virtue of the common denominator of the Holy Spirit, they never started off by being different. Do you understand? In other words, they did not have to learn to be one. They did not have the chance to know what it means to not be in unity. The very birthing of the Holy Ghost in the church injected to her all she needs to be one. Such that the church never started off by being scattered before becoming united. The church was born united. So we are right now already talking about a heavily dysfunctional church. If she has elements of discord and disunity. If that's why Paul says, I hear that there are divisions among you. And partly, I believe it. I was telling the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So homothomadon means that we are going to undergo a rebirth. And we are one accord such that we don't know what it means to disagree. There's no pleasure or pride in disagreeing. There's none. There's none. I, I, I don't know how else to say this. But I'm trusting that there's a few people here that the Spirit of God unpacks this in your heart. Somebody said, why is it one accord in one, with one accord in one place? Because they were not just one accord in heart and mind. They were one accord in heart and mind together in a place. Does that make sense? So one doesn't cancel out the other. You can be together in a place and not be together in one accord. You can be together in one accord in heart and mind and not be together to fellowship physically. Does that make sense? So the emphasis is the word together with one accord in one place. But the emphasis is not in the one place. In what I'm talking about is the fact that they were in one accord or with one accord. One accord meaning unanimous. And unanimous meaning they never were they never were disagreement. So it means that whatever the church decides to do, the church will get done. Now stretch your wildest imagination. It includes that too. Honestly. There's no limits to what the church united can do. Listen, the church united has only two options. Use power or abuse it. The church united does not have the option of not having power to use. If the church united had a problem, the, the problem of the church united would be that it had so much power, it abused it. Jonathan, we can, the church united can literally take somebody out. We can. We can. The church united can change government. 
Today was probably for somebody to understand why we, we appear to be loud against organized religion. It's absolute garbage. Absolute garbage. That's not what Jesus died for. And I understand that you don't want to, you know, you, you want to be in a nice place, but you don't want to be the reason why the thing is going forward. You don't want to put your head out. You don't want to, to, to endanger yourself. You don't want to stick out your head too much for them to trace you to what is being said and done. So you're, you, you're coming into truth, but you're playing safe. And some of us are dead men walking. Who is he that troubleth Israel? That's not because we find it funny. But because there's a church that Jesus died for. And if we're imitating, we should settle at nothing less than the emergence of that church. Not conclude that the church does not exist because she does. And she will emerge. If she exists in the mind of her creator, then she exists on the earth. And we should settle for nothing less than what is on the mind of the creator. And push for it until we see it. And even if we don't, we don't settle because we know what we saw. We don't settle because we know what we saw. Even if we tolerate something, it's not because that's what it is. We know there's more. We know there's more. Search your heart. That we agree and we say we're going to do this. And because we all agree, it gets done. Heaven, life, friends and enemies have no choice but to release resources. Because the people have chosen to be one. The people have chosen to be one. We will sit in church like this. We will cancel some of your exams in church you will stop to ever think that you will skip church for class we will come to church in a meeting we will cancel all the classes because like I said you have not scratched the surface of what the church is capable of you haven't you said there will be no classes and you will hear it in the news you will hear see with your eyes the impact of what the church declared you see with your eyes the impact of what we declared. Where's the church? To stand and legislate as one. Flip systems on their head. Drive confusion into the enemy's camp. See, we do not lose those things because of the cross. It's the cross that gave us that authority. It's the cross that gave us that authority. We will disconfit the plan of the enemy scatter their plans and they have no clue what they're doing anymore because the church stood up to his responsibility we're playing cosmetic Christianity we are people of power we are people of power power line dormant powers with no transformers to push them out the grid is weak if it was given to you if it entered your hands the end of it was the kingdom if God gave you resources it's for the church it's not for you. It's not for you that you determine which little one to give to the church. That's why I say it's an insult for you to be fighting 10% with God. It's an insult for you to be defending tithe. It's an insult for you to be thinking that after all Jesus did, what is, what is due him is 10% of your gross income. What if he chose to die for you in percentages? Forgive your sins in percentages. Heal you in percentages. Deliver you in percentages. Show you light in percentages. The kingdom determines what you keep. All it takes is five, six, ten accounts to close joyfully. The boss will show up. But somebody who can give more will give ten grand and feel like they've done enough to give church. That's the issue. We're not of one heart. The church is grappling with stuff. 
we'll publicize our need, we'll make noise about it. But we're struggling to be one. There's nothing that we set our hearts to do now that we are one in spirit that can be hindered us. Nothing we set our hearts to buy. Nothing. I, I, I mean nothing. I mean, if you don't have it, you, ha you know somebody that has it. You know somebody who you will hustle and shake down until it comes. If you're leading with the impact of the church. If you're leading with the interest of the kingdom. It's love so certain to do. Enjoy the fellowship. Enjoy the food. Enjoy the worship. Enjoy the ambience. Enjoy the hugs. Enjoy the welcome. Enjoy it all. But let it be an opportunity for you to reflect on the fact that God has called us. But it's a lot of dysfunction in church. Let's let the word prevail. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.